on FM, online and on your smartphone. This is Burns FM News. Welcome to today's news headlines from the Scottish Radio News team. I'm Alistair Connell. A seven-year-old boy from Port Leithen has raised nearly £4,000 for a cancer charity after he walked 10 kilometres around Aberdeen's Duthie Park in honour of his dad. Campbell Cummings took on the challenge to help friends of Anchor, which helps countless cancer patients across the northeast, including his 40-year-old dad, Stephen, who was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukaemia last year. After several weeks of fundraising, Campbell was joined by his dad, 12-year-old brother Leo and mum Laura at the city park. Neighbours, friends of Anchor staff and school teachers were also among those who joined. An East Lothian man who was caught with a horror collection of bestiality videos has escaped being placed on the sex offenders register due to a legal loophole. Scott Fleming was found with vile movies showing adults engaging in sexual activity with animals including a horse, a pig and a dog when police raided his home two years ago. During the search, Fleming, aged 27, was also found to have downloaded a shocking film depicting a man having a live moving drill inserted into his penis. Fleming pled guilty to a charge of possessing extreme pornographic material between March the 19th and May the 10th, 20 when he appeared at Edinburgh Sheriff Court last month. A Christmas Day yob has been given his last chance after he admitted kicking a car wing mirror and stealing a smartwatch in Johnston. Connor Logan repeatedly banged on the door of a person's property and kicked their car wing mirror on Christmas Day last year. The 27-year-old then went on to steal a smartwatch from the vehicle and when police arrested him, he was found with two bags of cocaine in his possession. Procurator Fiscal Deputy Mr Warner told Paisley Sheriff Court on Saturday, December the 25th, 2022, the accused entered the car of a property in Broom Terrace and began to bang on the door. Witnesses looked out the bedroom window and saw the accused kick the wing mirror of their car and then make way to the neighbouring properties. The accused activated a security light at another property in Broom Terrace and police were contacted at this point. Logan chose to represent himself at his sentencing hearing with Sheriff Thomas Ward, asking the lout if he wanted to say anything in relation to the narrated circumstances. Logan replied no. Sheriff Ward read a social work report that had been prepared and stated it says here, you've got a problem with paying a fine. Logan agreed, which was slammed by the sheriff who stormed the problem as you're spending all your money on cannabis and cigarettes. If you gave all that up, you'd be able to pay your fine. From the dock, Logan declared, that's much easier said than done. Logan of Scott Avenue in Johnson then made matters worse for himself as when he was asked why the report stated he was unwilling to do unpaid work as a sentencing option, he stated the last time it was full of druggies, there was people taking drugs and alcohol within the van. Logan was ordered to wear a tag for four months, keeping him within his home from 7pm to 6am each day. That's your caught up. More news in an hour. Merns FM weather with Ace Competitions. And now the weather here on Merns FM for the Grampian area. Monday will be cloudy with light rain in the west at times during the morning. The afternoon will stay mainly dry until a band of showery rain reaches western parts later in the day. Maximum temperature of 10 degrees Celsius. The early for Tuesday to Thursday will cloudy, isolated showers in the west and wintry on the hills, otherwise dry on Tuesday, becoming windy as rain spreads east on Wednesday. Showers, wintry on the hills, return to western parts on Thursday when it will be drier across the east. Burns FM weather with Ace Competitions. Head over to acecompetitions.co.uk or find us on Facebook and Instagram for more information.
and so. Humiliation for the Prime Minister in two strokes. His revamped Rwanda policy is announced and moments later, the minister who'd be guiding it through the Commons resigns. With impeccable timing, Suella Braverman, sacked as Home Secretary by Rishi Sunak, delivers a speech in the House saying the Rwanda policy won't work. She's demanding a change in direction. It's what they used to call a double whammy. Results are in, Scotland's performance falters, could do better. Kate Forbes demands Hamza Yousaf dumps the Greens from government. And Boris Johnson tells the Covid inquiry he's sorry and he actually does care. From Caledonia Media, I'm Charles Fletcher with Scotland's favourite political show, The Week in Hollywood. Believe the First Minister is standing here defending Scottish education in the week that the results have shown standards to be at their worst ever level. To suggest that from one set of results that the education system is failing, as Douglas Ross is doing, is simply not true. And frankly, it's an insult to the brilliant job our teachers do. Martin Va, Fiskema. The Scottish Government is being chastised by the Conservatives who are claiming the country's education record is a national disgrace. Douglas Ross says Scotland's students are being failed by a disastrous rewrite of the curriculum. And Labour's Anas Sarwar fears Scotland's young people are being left behind. The blistering attacks in the Chamber come in the wake of international education ratings released this week. The programme for International Student Assessment Research, known as PISA, is managed by the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development. It measures the performance of 700,000 students in 81 countries. Scotland's score for reading, maths and science is done and trails behind England. Education Secretary Jenny Gilruth blames Covid. The opposition thinks differently. We begin with Conservative leader Douglas Ross. The OECD's PISA publication is one of the most respected international studies of education systems. This week, they reported that Scotland's results have declined to record lows. The 2023 study shows the worst ever performance in maths, science and reading. What does Hamza Youssef have to say to the generation of young Scots that have been failed by the SNP? First Minister. In relation to the substance uh, of uh, the question uh, that Douglas Ross asks, let me put it on record and let me be absolutely explicit about it that we do not dismiss, I do not dismiss nor take lightly the PISA results that have been released this week. We are reflecting on a poor set of results and the Education Secretary will make a statement next week uh, on the very issues of literacy and numeracy and what our response is uh, to improving uh, those outcomes. Uh, There is no doubt, of course, as the OECD makes it clear in the publication that COVID has had an impact. Uh, The OECD described it as their COVID edition, and that's why 40 countries uh, out of... uh, So that's why 30 out of the 40 countries uh, saw their results go down uh, in maths, and it's why across all three categories of reading, uh, math and, and science, every nation in the UK, including Scotland, saw uh, reductions in their scores. So these uh, results will, of course, be carefully considered. They are a poor set 
uh, of results. But I do have to say, presiding officer, uh, that some of the commentary around Scottish education from this one set of results is, I think, unfair. Uh, let's look at the holistic picture, uh, not just one data set. And what we see, of course, is that investment in education per pupil is higher in Scotland than it is in England and Wales. And as a result of that investment, we've seen 94.3% of 16 to 90-year-olds in employment, education or training. That's a record number. So to suggest that from one set of results that the education system is failing, as Douglas Ross is doing, is simply not true. And frankly, it's an insult to the brilliant job our teachers do. Douglas Ross. It's an insult for the First Minister to say he is reflecting on this poor set of results when the PISA figures have been going down throughout the SNP's time in office. Scores have fallen year on year in maths and science since the SNP took over and reading is at a record low. And there is no surprise, I believe, in this chamber or anywhere else to hear the First Minister reach for covid as the excuse. This was a global pandemic. This was a global pandemic. We know that countries in East Asia where the pandemic began are outperforming Scotland's education system. Lindsay Patterson said this, Professor Lindsay Patterson of the University of Edinburgh, COVID isn't solely responsible for this crisis, although ministers and education chiefs are determined to scapegoat it that way. And let's be very clear. The Scottish education system was once amongst the best in the world. But after 16 years of the SNP being in power, Scotland now ranks below Latvia for science, behind Estonia in reading, behind Lithuania in maths. So will Hamza Yusuf finally admit that the SNP's record on schools is a national disgrace? First Minister. Officer, I don't uh, accept that. But Douglas Ross, uh, deliberately of course, is not listening to my previous response. I am accepting that the PISA results were not good enough, even considering the impact of the pandemic. And the impact of the pandemic is not something that I'm using as an excuse. It literally is said, the OECD literally described the results as their COVID addition. That came from the OECD, not from the Scottish Government. So the Education Secretary will uh, stand here next week. She will give details of what we're doing to improve literacy and numeracy. However, to suggest our entire education system is completely failing is simply untrue. Let's look at the holistic picture. And Douglas Ross and the Conservatives don't want to listen because, of course, it is an inconvenient truth for them. Last year's ACEL results showed the big biggest single-year fall in attainment gap in primary school in both numeracy and literacy. This summer, we had the highest ever number of passes at National 5 in an exam year since the qualification was introduced in 2014. They really don't want to listen to this because it goes against their narrative about Scottish education. Higher and advanced higher passes rates were above those seen pre-pandemic in 2019. We now have a record number of young people aged 19 and under who have secured a university place this year and more of course from areas of higher deprivation and as I said 94.3% of 16 to 90 year olds participating in employment, education or training. Uh, this data, those facts tell us of an education system and a record under this SNP of an education system that is supporting our young people presenting office. I'm going to need shorter answers as questions. Douglas Ross.
the First Minister keeps going back to COVID, so let's just see what the director of the PISA study said. He said that OECD made it clear that attainment was declining long before COVID, and PISA studies throughout the year show that here in Scotland. And Hamza Yusuf needs to accept the extent of his government's failure and examine why this has happened. Many factors will have contributed to this decline, but it cannot be a coincidence that it has taken place during the disastrous implementation of Cur Curriculum for Excellence and its aftermath. Not, not my words, but the words of Dr Keir Bloomer, one of the architects of Curriculum for Excellence itself. The SNP's flawed plans have cost Scotland its international reputation for excellence in education. They made schools less about learning. The SNP's curriculum doesn't value knowledge. They tried to save it with mountains of bureaucracy and only made it worse. Isn't it time to accept, after the worst ever school results, that the SNP's curriculum needs to be scrapped? First Minister. Well, can I, I just remind uh, Douglas Ross, of course, that some of the challenges we saw predate Curriculum for Excellence. And as I said, we are taking the PISA results extremely seriously. That's why the Education Secretary has committed to a ministerial statement in this chamber next week to give details on the action that we'll take on numerously and literacy. Let me just remind Douglas Ross that it was, of course, uh, Liz Smith, uh, who is in uh, uh, his uh, front bench, who said that the Tory, uh, she was the Tory education spokesman, spokesperson at the time, she said, I want to start the Scottish Conservatives' contribution to the debate with an unequivocal declaration of support for the Curriculum for Excellence. Uh, she also said more recently in 2018 that, and I quote again, throughout all the interviews and consultations we undertook, there was general agreement that the principles which underpin Curriculum for Excellence, of which, they are, which, uh, which were agreed unanimously by Scotland's political parties, are sound. And, more, and, and, and again, recently in March 2020, Jamie Green, the then Tory education spokesman, said, and I quote, the Conservatives will support the Scottish Government, especially in the current climate, in delivering curriculum for excellence and improving outcomes for Scotland's young people. So the Conservatives have supported curriculum uh, for excellence. They have done so, of course, because of the statistics that I have read, which show that curriculum for excellence is working for young people. So what I would say to Douglas Ross is we will continue to invest in the education. That's an investment which per pupil is higher than in England and Wales. And we'll make sure that we have an education system that supports good outcomes for our young people as opposed to knee-jerk reactions from the Conservatives and, of course, a cut to our public services by the UK Thank Conservative government. I am going to have to require briefer responses as well as questions. Douglas Ross. I can't believe the First Minister is standing here defending Scottish education in the week that the results have shown standards to be at their worst ever level. And he has quoted what the Scottish Conservatives have said in the past about curriculum for excellence. But what he hasn't quoted is the problems with the implementation which is on the SNP's watch. That's why Dr Keir Bloomer said the disastrous implementation of curriculum for excellence is the problem and that lays at the hands of the SNP. Now let's look at another quote from John Jerome, the Professor of Education at UCL. He said this this week. I think parents probably should be worried. Clearly things are not going well in Scotland. Since the last PISA results, the SNP have launched reports, independent reviews, 
national discussions, reform boards and consultations on education, and the one thing they haven't done is fix their mess. The SNP Government's own International Council of Educational Advisers have said this. The time for commissioning reviews is now over. There is a strong consensus. There is a need for action. A generation of Scots have already been failed and another generation are being let down by the lack of leadership from Hamza Yusuf and the SNP. Scottish schools have plummeted down international league tables on the SNP's watch. So what urgent action is Hamza Yusuf going to take now or are parents right to be worried about the future of Scotland's schools? The people of Scotland can take comfort in the fact that, of course, we have an exceptionally good reputation and record in Scottish education, which has seen 94.3% of 16 to 90-year-olds in education, employment or training. That is a record high. It's not just a First Minister, but as somebody who also has uh, their child in the local uh, secondary school, I understand completely parents' concerns at the recent PISA results. I'm not dismissing the fact, I'm not taking lightly by any stretch of the imagination uh, the, the, the results and that's why the Education Secretary will stand up next week and give detail on what we're doing to prove uh, literacy and numeracy. So I've throughout my responses accepted that we need to improve our PISA score. But as for our, our record, presiding officer on education, we're the party that abolished tuition fees in very stark contrast to England where students have to pay up to £9,000 a year. We have more young people in Scotland from areas of deprivation going to university than ever before. Now the Conservatives want to heckle those young people from deprived areas down. But let me tell you more about our record, Presiding Officer. We have record numbers of young people going to positive destinations. We have seen the biggest single year fall in the poverty-related, yes, the poverty-related attainment gap in primary in both numeracy and literacy. And all the while we have done that, uh, presiding officer, when we have a Tory UK government that has taken a hatchet to our public services and inflicted over 13 years... Thank you, First Minister. Labour leader Anas Sawar claims the reputation of Scotland's education system once the envy of the world has been destroyed. Deputy Officer, this week's PISA results demonstrate 16 years of SNP government failure. It shows standards declining in maths, science and reading and our international position falling. And this has serious consequences for Scottish children. Our education system was once the envy of the world. Now, because of this government, we lag behind. In 2012, Scotland had the highest attaining students from poorer backgrounds of all four parts of the UK. In 2022, the most deprived in Scotland were the lowest attaining in the UK. How have the SNP allowed this to happen? First Minister. Uh, can I say to Anna Sauer, as I already have in all of my responses to Douglas Ross, that we take the PISA results uh, very seriously, and that's why the Education Secretary will stand up, will make a ministerial statement on what action, practical action, we will take in relation to improve numeracy and uh, literacy. But let's just look at that point uh, around uh, literacy uh, that Anna Sawar uh, references. Um, uh, as in 2018, Scotland's score in reading in 22 was higher than the OECD average. But Anna Sawar is right, as, as was Douglas Ross, that we have to make sure that we are not on a trajectory of decline, but on an improving uh, trajectory. Let's look at in, uh, literacy in more detail. In addition, we saw that 9.6% of students in Scotland 
performed at PISA Level 5 or better in reading, which is defined by the OECD as top performers. That's above the OECD average of 7.2%. Scott's performance in reading amongst boys was also higher than the OECD average and higher than 26 other countries, including Norway, France uh, and indeed uh, Wales. Uh, 2023 SQA pass uh, rates in higher and advanced higher English were above those in 2019 and last year's achievement of Curriculum for Excellence ACL data showed a record increase for 21-22 in the proportion of primary school pupils achieving the expected levels of literacy. So Anna Sarber, Douglas Ross and any other uh, member of this chamber has every right of course to question uh, those challenging, difficult uh, and poor PISA results. But please let's not uh, uh, for one set of data uh, suddenly dismiss the entirety of Scottish uh, education. That would be unfair on the excellent job in fact, that our hard-working teachers do but also the hard work that our pupils do day in and day out. Do you need briefer responses? Anna Sarwar. Our pupils and teachers are doing a great job. They're just being failed by this pathetic SNP government. That's the problem. And we do have, we do have a trajectory of decline if you look at the bar charts in that PISA study. I, I mentioned the, the stats in 2012 and 2022. That was an analysis of the PISA results by pr the Professor of Education, Lindsay Patterson, at the University of Edinburgh. But somehow Hamza Yusuf thinks he knows better than the Professor of Education. He went on to say that when it comes to maths and reading, these gaps are growing. So despite the Scottish policy attention on narrowing inequality, the actual gap is getting worse. Across Scotland, our children and teachers are working flat out, but they are being failed by this SNP government. Now, vital support for pupils is absent, and the situation is getting worse. To close the attainment gap and improve the PISA rankings, we must give every student and every pupil the support they need. So can the First Minister tell us, has the number of teachers for children with additional support needs increased or decreased? First Minister. Uh, well, I don't have uh, that figure uh, right uh, to hand. When I look at the government, uh, when I look at the investment that we've made uh, in teachers, and even in the face of over a decade of UK austerity in Scotland, we have the most teachers per pupil in the UK. We have 7,573 teachers per 100,000 pupils in Scotland. Uh, that's more than the 5,684 in Labour-run Wales, and it's more than the 5,723 in the Conservative-run uh, England. And we have, of course, not only that, uh, a high number of uh, teachers per 100,000 pupils. We have the best paid teachers anywhere in the UK. This is a government which absolutely values our teaching profession. We've chosen to invest in our teachers. What I would say to Anna Sawar is that when I look uh, at uh, our, our scores in comparison uh, to the Welsh Government, that shows, of course, that these issues are affecting every single government right across the UK, uh, the UK and across the world. That is why it's called a global pandemic. So we are investing in our teachers, we are investing in our education system, all against, of course, the backdrop of 13 years of austerity. And I saw one. Asked a really simple question about additional support needs. The number of children identified with additional support needs has risen from just over 36,500 in 2007 to over 240,000 now. But in this same period, the number of ASN teachers has fallen by over 200, leaving many children without the level of support they need. Now, this SNP government's record on education is a litany of broken promises, closing the attainment gap promise broken. Guaranteeing class sizes of 18 or under, promise broken. Free school meals for all primary school pupils, promise broken. A digital device for every pupil, 
promise broken. Year after year, the SNP make promises to Scotland's children, but year after year, they fail to deliver. And after 16 years, there's no one else to blame. So will the First Minister apologise to the people of Scotland for destroying our once world-leading education system? First Minister. Presiding officer, that is exactly the type of hyperbole that I was warning members in this chamber about. Because we have one set of data, one set of data, which of course is concerning, and I accept that uh, from the opposition. But he asks, Anasawar asks, will I apologise? I will not apologise for ACL results that show the biggest single year fall in the attainment gap in primary schools in both numeracy and literacy. No, I won't apologise for the fact that we have more children, more young people from areas of deprivation going to university. No, I won't apologise for a record number of young people aged 19 who have now secured a university place this year. No, I won't apologise for the 94.3% of 16 to 19 year olds that were participating in employment, education or training over the past year. So yes, there are challenges. Yes, the PISA results are serious and we will reflect on that, consider those results and come forward next week with more detail on the action we will take. But because of this government's actions, because of the SNP government's actions, we have more young people going into positive destinations before and that's not something that I'm going to apologise for. Lib Dem leader Alex Cole Hamilton kept up the pressure on the First Minister. Uh, Presiding officer, Scotland's place in the we- this week's international education rankings is the worst on record, and the SNP are squandering the once proud global advantage that Scotland held in education. What that means is that the high wage, high skilled jobs of the future will go elsewhere if we get left behind. Education is half of what councils do, but this government is pushing them to towards the brink of bankruptcy. And we've just heard that every promise made, class sizes, laptops, the attainment gap, you name it, the SNP have broken it. And there are young people leaving school this year who have only ever lived under the SNP. So here is a maths problem for the First Minister that will reveal the full extent of the trajectory of decline that he describes. In the education rankings the year before the SNP came to power, Scotland was awarded 506 points. This year, it was awarded 407, which is better. First Minister. Uh, to be lectured on education by the political party that broke their promise to abolish tuition fees is quite something, uh, presiding officer. And uh, if, 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 he, if he wants some maths, that might be the reason why he has a rump of MSPs that are sitting behind him, because people in Scotland have not forgotten the broken promises of the Liberal Democrats on education. Their disastrous decision to line up, to go into bed, to make sure that they stood side by side with the Conservatives is what ushered in over 13 years of austerity. And despite that 13 years of austerity, we have more young people in positive destinations. We have more young people from areas of higher deprivation going to university. More young people going uh, to university. We have made progress in the face of 13 and a half years of austerity. No thanks to Conservatives, certainly no thanks to Liberal Democrats. I'll have more from the Chamber later in the week in Holyrood. The runner-up in the race for the leadership of the SNP is calling on the First Minister to eject the Greens from government. 
Kate Forbes says the Butte House Agreement should be repealed and the SNP should rule as a minority government. The former Finance Secretary is now a backbench MSP. She suggests green policies are costing support for the SNP. During the leadership campaign, Kate Forbes says continuity, including the arrangement with the Greens, wouldn't cut it. I want to put our economy front and centre. I want to reach out to no voters, as I've already said. And I want to ensure that we eradicate poverty and rebuild the strength of the trust that we enjoy with the Scottish people. That's how the SNP has won multiple elections over the last 16 years. And if we want to continue to win elections, then I believe that we are at a crossroads and we need to take the approach that will ultimately ensure we maintain that trust going forward. Politics change, but never stop. It affects everything we do. I'm Charles Fletcher with The Week in Hollywood. Join me here for coverage of the Scottish, UK and European parliaments. It's a crucial election year where you once again have a choice. Who's in, who's out? The ups, the downs. Join me, Charles Fletcher, bringing Hollywood home. You're listening to The Week in Holyrood with Charles Fletcher and coming up in the next half hour. Boris Johnson apologises and is booed at the UK Covid inquiry in London. And the SNP Stephen Flynn wins the Commons with his cutting question to the Prime Minister. First, we go to London and the continuing UK Covid inquiry. Former Prime Minister Boris Johnson snuck in early to avoid the gathering storm of relatives outside the hearing room. He apologised for mistakes made on his watch, but said, suggesting he didn't care about the suffering, is simply not right. This from the BBC's Vicky Young. A lot has been said by a lot of people about Boris Johnson's time in number 10. He was confronted by the biggest challenge to face a Prime Minister in peacetime. Not just a health crisis, but an economic one too. He's been accused of acting too late and of lying about what went on here. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. This was Mr Johnson's chance to give his side of the story and he began with an apology. Can I just say how glad I am to be at this uh, inquiry and uh, how sorry I am for the the pain and the loss and the suffering sit down. of please, the please stop. COVID Don't victims. Please sit down. Right, could ushers, please, could you ask them to leave? These were the four women thrown out for interrupting and said they'd never accept Mr Johnson's apology. Eleven municipalities in Italy... Back inside, questions about February 2020. Coronavirus had spread to Italy and the Cabinet had discussed what plans were in place here. I look at all this stuff in which we seem so oblivious with, with, with horror now. I mean, we, we, we should, have, we should have, have twigged. We should collectively have twigged uh, much sooner. I should have twigged. When the seriousness of the virus was understood, it led to this lockdown. Several former colleagues described Mr Johnson as indecisive. He says he was weighing up difficult options. I've got the Chancellor of the Exchequer with me saying that there's a risk to the UK bond markets and our ability to raise sovereign debt. This matters massively to people in this country. I have to go through the arguments. And, and that is what I was doing. 
did you consider the argument against lockdown or did you... I, 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 I'm afraid to say at that stage I gave it pretty short shrift because I thought that my job was to protect human life. I had no other, I had no other tool, literally nothing else. There were some uncomfortable questions about the culture in number 10. Former chief advisor Dominic Cummings wrote sweary messages criticising colleagues, including his boss. I, you know, I knew that some people were, uh, were difficult. I didn't know how difficult they were, clearly. Um, but I, I thought it was better on the whole for the country to have a, a, a disputatious culture in number 10 than one that was quietly acquiescent. That was certainly a positive spin on a workplace atmosphere many described as toxic. And Boris Johnson seemed emotional as he reflected on the first year of the pandemic. We have to be realistic about 2020, the whole year, that whole tragic, tragic year. We did lock down, but then it bounced back after we'd unlocked. Today, Boris Johnson denied that he failed to show leadership during the pandemic. He said it wasn't indecisiveness. He was simply weighing up options that all had terrible downsides. He did admit that mistakes were made, but said it was a collective failure. Scientists, politicians and officials all underestimating how serious the pandemic was. Vicky Young, BBC News, Westminster. I have cognitive issues. I find it difficult to walk very far without having to rest or I collapse. But today is so important. I've come from South London today. I'm here primarily for my dad. Jean and Anthony, both at the inquiry today, have lost so much in different ways because of COVID-19. Jean's father died in April 2020 in a care home after getting the virus. Anthony was a war correspondent, but now because of long COVID, every day is a struggle. He can no longer work. Outside the inquiry, they met others who've lost loved ones or suffered with the lasting consequences of the virus. The scenes from Italy really rattled me. At a distance, Jim, who's a consultant, is watching the inquiry in breaks from his hospital shift. If you look at our ITU, there are two non-corona patients. Working in intensive care in the first wave of COVID, he had to help manage the surge of seriously ill patients. Listening to Boris Johnson, that build-up period, um, you know, from my perspective, we were desperate for the, for the lockdown. We, we were terrified that we were going to be overrun with patients and that we would be put into the most awful ethical situation. Was it Matt Hancock last week? Having heard Boris Johnson, Jean was sceptical about the explanations of decisions on lockdowns. He made reference to the scientists quite a few times. Well, they didn't say anything. You know, behavioural uh, fatigue and bounce back and... You know, and, and that's why they delayed locking down. So he's almost pushing the blame onto the scientists um, and, and, and absolving himself of that, that um, uh, responsibility as Prime Minister to make those decisions. Anthony and his wife are both living with the continuing symptoms known as long COVID. It has taken everything we hold dear from us. We've lost everything. We exist now on benefits for all of our income. So what did he make of Boris Johnson's apology? They're words, aren't they? It makes... 
it makes a headline. Boris says sorry. But what does it change? There's no doubt this is a highly significant day for campaigners, but there'll be more to come when the inquiry in its latest stages looks in more detail at the response of the NHS to the COVID crisis and what happened in care homes. Jean will be coming back when Rishi Sunak gives evidence. For Anthony, the physical effort of getting there may be too much. Hugh Pym, BBC News. In the Commons, the Prime Minister had by all accounts his worst bruising yet from Labour leader Keir Starmer. But it was the SNP Stephen Flynn who won the floor with a stinger of a question that smacked both the PM and the opposition leader. All because of a love for Margaret. Margaret Thatcher, that is. Stephen Flynn! Yeah. Thank you, Madam Deputy Speaker. Is the Prime Minister worried? that he is projected to be the first Conservative Party leader to lose a general election to a fellow Thatcherite. We really must hear the Prime Minister and we've got a lot of questions to get through. It's it's not the Prime Minister's opponents who are giving him trouble. Prime Minister! Madam Deputy Speaker, I say to the Honourable Gentleman, Margaret Thatcher's view was cut inflation, then cut taxes, and then win an election, and that's very much my plan. Of, of course, Madam Deputy Speaker, it's not just in relation to Margaret Thatcher where the Tory and Labour leader appear to agree. The same is true of the government's latest migration policies. Now, for those of us on these benches, we aren't afraid to say that we believe migration is a good thing. Yeah. It, enriches, it enriches our communities, it enriches our economy, it enriches our universities, our schools, our health service and, of course, our care sector. So in that regard, can I ask the Prime Minister, why does he think it is acceptable to ask people to come to these shores to care for our family members whilst we show complete disregard for theirs? What has become of this place? Madam Speaker, it's completely wrong. No, as we've already said, we have a proud track record of welcoming those who are most vulnerable around the world. Over half a million over the past few years from Syria, Afghanistan, Ukraine, Hong Kong and elsewhere. And that's what this country will always do. But at the same time, when it comes to economic migration and other forms, it's absolutely right that we take strong action to curb the levels that we have seen because they are simply far too high and place unsustainable pressure on our public services. And, Madam Speaker, I make no apology for saying that or indeed saying that it is important that those who come here contribute to our public services. Now let's go back into the chamber here at Holyrood as we join the Deputy Presiding Officer Liam MacArthur to continue questions to the First Minister. Claire Adamson. Thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister what action the Scottish Government is taking to ensure that its recent Crohn's and Colitis Awareness Campaign is reaching deprived and marginalised communities in light of Crohn's and Colitis Awareness Week this week. First Minister. The Scottish Government is absolutely committed to supporting people living with Crohn's and colitis through Scotland to receive the health care 
that they need. At the end of March, we ran an awareness campaign to complement Crohn's and Colitis UK's early diagnosis campaign. But we understand the importance of ensuring that people from deprived and marginalised communities can access the support and the care that they need. Our campaign put posters in community buildings, pharmacies, right across Scotland to reach as many people as possible who may not have access to government communication channels such as NHS Inform. We also shared our learning from our COVID-19 vaccination programme about reaching marginalised and seldom heard groups with Crohn's and Colitis UK to help them to, to reach those very groups uh, with their own campaign. Claire Adamson. I thank the First Minister for that answer. Delays to diagnosis affect people's ability to continue in education and work and limits treatment options and increases their risk of being hospitalised or needing emergency surgery. Recognising the symptoms of lower gastrointestinal conditions, which are stigmatised and widely misunderstood, is crucial. What action will the Scottish, Scottish Government take to improve symptom awareness for Crohn's and colitis and reduce the stigma so that people feel confident in seeking advice and treatment when they have symptoms? First Minister. Can I thank Claire Adamson for raising such an important uh, issue and I think getting to the very nub uh, of the issues that those who suffer with Crohn's and colitis uh, often uh, report an early diagnosis of Crohn's and colitis is vitally important and awareness and reducing stigma are vital in helping people feel confident to seek advice and treatment. In addition to the awareness campaign we ran uh, earlier this year, which I gave detail of uh, in response to uh, Claire Adamson's first question, we've also worked with Crohn's and Colitis UK and clinicians to update the Crohn's disease and ulcerative ulcer, uh, ulcer, uh, colitis pages on NHS uh, Inform. We provided funding to improve uh, inflammatory bill disease care for patients right across Scotland in partnership with people with lived experience and of course our uh, colleagues uh, in the third sector. So we'll continue to support Crohn's and Colitis UK to raise awareness of these conditions and we're very grateful to the charity for their continued work in this area. Question 5, Brian Whittle. Thank you, Presenting Officer. To ask the First Minister what action the Scottish Government is taking to address the impacts of obesity and excess, excess weight on the Scottish economy and NHS. First Minister. Preventing obesity and supporting individuals to have a healthy weight remains a public health priority. This financial year, we've provided core funding of over £8 million to health boards to deliver adult children and young people's weight management services. This is in addition to providing annual funding for health boards for obesity reduction and type 2 diabetes risk management through effective prevention and weight management interventions. Our diet and healthy weight delivery plan has a focus on prevention, including our commitment, of course, to legislate to restrict the promotion of less healthy food and drink. Engagement is currently underway and will be consulting on the details of the proposed regulations in early uh, 2024. Good health, of course, is essential to productive work uh, and our economy, and as part of that, we're currently reviewing our health and work strategy. Brian Whittle. Could I thank the First Minister for that answer? But Scotland has long had a reputation as one of the most obese and unhealthy nations in Europe. As numerous studies, including one this week by Henry Dimbleby, has shown, obesity, excess weight and related conditions has a profound cost to both our economy and our health service. Billions of pounds lost in productivity and treating preventable conditions associated with excess weight. At the same time, we're seeing sports facilities across Scotland, from local swimming pools and ice rinks to athletics facilities and hockey pitches, falling victim to closures and cost-cutting. Moreover, access to school sport and activity is continuing to decline. 
Does the First Minister agree with me that by failing to invest in community sports facilities and increasing access to those sports facilities, our economy and NHS face paying a high price? And will he commit to doing more to protect these vital assets? First Minister. Officer, uh, can I thank Brian Whittle for what's a very important uh, question indeed, and I recognise that it's an issue that uh, he has raised repeatedly uh, in his time as a member of the Scottish uh, Parliament. Uh, of course, he is right uh, in relation to uh, the various issues that affect uh, obesity. That includes uh, physical activity. Uh, we should also say, of course, that there are, uh, there are social determinants such as poverty, which also play uh, a key role. So I can write, uh, we'll make sure that the Health Secretary writes, of course, to Brian Whittle uh, with the detail of the action that we're taking. But I would make this final point, of course, that we just had an autumn statement uh, last week uh, from the UK uh, government. And uh, they chose, of course, to prioritise tax cuts for the likes of politicians uh, and indeed for the wealthy, as opposed to giving money to public services. So any influence that Brian Mitchell can have whatsoever on his UK government, colleagues, I would suggest that they put money towards our public services uh, as opposed to tax cuts for the wealthy. This is The Week in Holyrood. I'm Charles Fletcher. Carol Mochan. Carol Morgan. Thank you, President Officer. Midwives are telling me that obesity and closely linked diabetes trends are creating a more complex workload and demanding greater expertise to ensure mothers are provided with the best possible care. Does the First Minister agree with me that any action the Scottish Government is taking to address the impact of obesity on the NHS must include the experience and expertise of frontline workers, such as midwives, who will be able to contribute to the development of strategy and its subsequent delivery? First Minister. Yes, I do. I agree with that uh, wholeheartedly. I think Carol Moore can make some incredibly important points and uh, I don't disagree uh, with any of them and that's why I mentioned in my initial response that we have provided uh, core funding of £8.25 million to health boards in 23-24 to deliver adult children and young people's uh, weight management services in line with our national standards and the type 2 diabetes prevention framework and we want to continue that investment in the National Health Service of course uh, the Finance Secretary will stand up later this month uh, to give details of our budget and without giving uh, the detail of that uh, away uh, of course the member will be aware that for next year we've received less than £11 million in consequentials from the UK government because they've chosen to prioritise tax cuts for the likes of Douglas Ross uh, and uh, others. So what I would say to Carol Mockin is we're going to have to make very very difficult choices in terms of our budget but I can give you an absolute guarantee that funding the NHS will be our top priority. Question 6, Katie Clark. To ask the First Minister whether the Scottish Government will outline any plans it has for freedom of information reform in the current parliamentary session. First Minister. So, officer, we do have plans. The Scottish Government announced plans last week to consult on extending freedom of information laws to private and third sector social care providers once the National Care Service Bill is completed. Uh, this would be a highly significant extension of FOI rights bringing hundreds more organisations within scope of the legislation and it follows our access to information rights in Scotland consultation earlier this year. Working with the Scottish Information Commissioner, we will also update the statutory guidance issued by ministers on best practice for Scottish public authorities. Scotland has rigorous FOI legislation. It's more robust than the legislation that exists in the rest of Great Britain and ensures accountability and transparency around decision-making processes. So far this year alone, around 4,500 FOIs have been answered by this government. Katie Clark. This morning I lodged my final proposal for a member's bill to reform freedom of information and to extend freedom of information to private companies 
and others delivering public services, not just in the care sector. The Scottish Information Commissioner, previous Scottish Information Commissioners and this Parliament's Audit Committee have all called for such legislative reform. Will the First Minister look at this issue again and does he agree with me that public information rights should follow the public pound? First Minister. I absolutely agree with the premise of uh, Katie Clark's uh, points, and I note that she says that she has published uh, the consultation of the, the, of, of the bill uh, today, or forgive me, published the, the detail of the bill uh, today. So I will uh, take a look at that, and of course we will do so uh, with uh, an open mind. In terms of our own uh, performance on, on, on FOI, uh, we absolutely accepted the recommendations of the former Commissioner in relation to their update on our FOI performance, and we welcome the former Commissioner's view that the Scottish Government is on track and close to concluding uh, a period of heightened focus on FOI performance. The average response rate of 97% comes despite the request numbers increasing by 60% since 2019 to almost 5,000 uh, a year. And that significantly exceeds the performance of the UK Government, which responded to only 83% uh, of requests within 20 days. So we have uh, a good uh, record in terms of responding and the rate of that response to FOIs. And of course, we'll look closely at Katie Clark's bill. This is The Week in Holyrood. I'm Charles Fletcher. Supplementary John Mason. Uh, thank you. The First Minister mentions the increase in the number of requests. Can you give us the actual numbers that uh, they were at the introduction of the legislation and what they are now and, and any comparable costs? And does he think there's any abuse of the system going on? First Minister. Um, I'm not able to provide a uh, figure since the time the legislation was introduced, but I can confirm that in the first full year for which we do have figures, 2018, we handled uh, 3,300 requests. In 2022, we responded to over 4,600 uh, requests. So there's no doubt uh, that this does place, of course, a significant demand uh, on resources, but we are fully committed uh, to complying with our obligations uh, under uh, the Act. And I just reference that point again. Our average response rate of 97% comes despite those requests increasing. And that is uh, in stark contrast and quite a considerable uh, significant improvement, but in stark contrast to uh, the UK Government's record of responding to 83% of requests within 20 days. With the constituents in general, supplementaries first, Claire Hawking. Thank you, President Officer. This week, the Home Secretary unveiled a raft of right-wing policies aimed at driving down immigration stats. Under the plans, people on health and care visas will no longer be able to bring their family to the UK and they've hiked the salary threshold for skilled workers to £38,700. Shockingly, there has been no objection to these Tory proposals from Labour and they've failed to commit to reversing them, despite the impact the policies would have on the Scottish economy and the NHS and social care sectors. Does the First Minister agree with me that unlike Labour and the Tories, this Scottish Government will never shy away from welcoming and valuing the contribution immigrants make to Scotland? First Minister. I, I, I really do agree strongly with Claire Hockey. It's a, it's a real dark day for the UK, a country that once welcomed many immigrants, including my grandfather, to the country. In fact, they begged them to come and others to come to work in their factories, to drive the buses, due to the labour shortages that were seen at that time. And what successive UK governments have done, Labour and Conservative, is that they have bit by bit dismantled our immigration and the our asylum processes. And on immigration, the latest announcements mean that we are asking, the UK government is asking migrants to come here 
to look after our own family members, but doing so by abandoning their own family members back home. On asylum, the UK government has virtually eliminated uh, any practical legal route for those that are fleeing war and persecution. So the policies of the UK government uh, in this respect, they're not only morally repugnant, but they're economically illiterate. Uh, so the SNP, the Scottish Government, uh, we of course uh, value migration. We value the importance of it to our social fabric, but also to our economy too. And let me say unequivocally that uh, in, in, in Scotland, uh, that the Scottish Government, that the SNP, we will always say that we are proud of the benefits that migrants bring to this country, and we are proud that they have chosen Scotland to be their home. Donald Cameron. Thank you. The First Minister may be aware of reports today that Lawn and Islands Hospital in Oban is set to lose its only visiting consultant haematologist, meaning that mainly elderly patients will be forced to travel hundreds of miles to Glasgow as a result. The charity Blood Cancer UK said that the loss of this service could put patients at risk. So what action will the First Minister take to urgently encourage NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde to reverse this short-sighted decision? First Minister. Well, we, are, we will look into uh, the detail of that. I understand uh, from the Health Secretary that officials are already engaging uh, with uh, the Health Board. And, of course, we do have uh, a number of policies in place that help to uh, not just att attract but retain uh, these important uh, health uh, workers uh, to our remote rural and island communities uh, in particular. So I will ensure that the Health Secretary writes to Donald Cameron with detail around the actions that we're able to take. Polly McNeill. Thank you. This week, Police Scotland announced a voluntary redundancy scheme for civilian staff in a bid to save money. It comes after the force warned that 3,000 jobs were at risk unless it received an additional 128 million of funding, and the officer numbers could drop by almost 1,500, meaning Police Scotland are saying that they may have to move to a reduced attendance model nationwide. The Unison this week have objected to the voluntary redundancy scheme because they warned that similar action a decade ago forced police officers to fill the roles vacated by civilian staff and it's not the way you would want to run a police service. So I'll ask the First Minister how he intends to address the concerns raised by Unison and of Police Scotland in the budget cuts because it's concerning that this could lead to a reduced policing service provided to the public. First Minister. I may have misheard uh, Polly McNeill, but I thought she used the phrase uh, budget cuts in relation to the police. Uh, if she did, that would be uh, wholly incorrect. We're investing £1.45 billion in policing in 2023-2024. We also increased the resource budget by 6.3%. That's an additional uh, £80 million. Uh, pounds. So, and despite the UK government's cut to our capital budget, we've more than doubled the SPA capital budget since 2017 uh, 2018. In relation to the voluntary redundancy scheme, important to say, of course, that applies uh, to, uh, to police staff, not to police officers. They'll be targeted to release 189 posts to balance the policing uh, workforce. My understanding is um, that the restrictions on police staff recruitment were introduced uh, from August 2023, with the exception uh, of C3 staff, that's contact command uh, and control um, custody and, and other business critical uh, roles. Um, so I, I would say to, to Polly McNeil, uh, these are of course operational matters uh, for the Chief Constable. What is important for us to do in the Scottish Government is to ensure that uh, Police Officer, that Police Scotland uh, is 
is uh, funded. That's why uh, we have more police officers than, of course, when this government uh, took office. And crucially for the public, uh, Scotland uh, is a safer place. We have uh, recorded crime at one of its lowest levels in, over, in almost 50 years. Kenneth Gibson. Thank you, Presiding Officer. First Minister, in June last year, a Drossen Harbour task force was advised that, after years of negotiation with Peel Ports, redevelopment would go out to tender on agreed designs this past summer. Now improvements that apparently were not previously deemed essential will be included, adding to interminable delays to the commencement of works. The First Minister restated his commitment to the Adrossen-Brodick ferry route while visiting Arne on 23rd of August. Can I therefore advise when it is now anticipated that work will begin and conclude on the redevelopment of Adrossen Harbour? First Minister. Can I thank uh, Kenny Gibson, who has raised this issue on a number of occasions, and most recently, of course, when uh, I visited uh, Aaron uh, with him. And firstly, I'd like to give assurance that the Scottish Government remains committed to ensuring the Aaron Ferry Service is fit for the future and will continue to engage closely with the community as this work very much progresses. The business case and cost review for the Adrossan Harbour project is currently being progressed. The Minister for Transport wrote to the Adrossan Task Force recently to advise that this work is being expanded. Uh, that's in order to help determine the scope more definitively with reporting expected by February uh, next year. And I fully appreciate this will be uh, disappointing news. However, it is essential that the scope of the work is clearly defined in order to have greater certainty of the project costs and the financial package required for each of the funding partners to deliver an improved service for the Aaron community. I know the Transport Minister would be more than happy to meet with Kenny Gibson to give, her, uh, to give him uh, further details. Alexander Stewart. Thank you, Presiding Officer. The 30-bed ward at Forth Valley Royal Hospital, which is part of the new National Treatment Centre aimed at increasing capacity for operations, has been delayed after NHS troubleshooters found problems with a construction project which could compromise patient safety. The review of NHS Scotland assured found ventilation, fire safety and flooding concerns with the project. First Minister, have no lessons been learned from following problems at other facilities? So what action is the Scottish Government taking to rectify this situation? First Minister. I would say to Alexander Stewart, he has, of course, a right to, to raise these issues of concern for the local uh, community. But, of course, the, the, the entire purpose of setting up NHS Assure was to make sure that we identified these yeah. issues and that, of course, the Health Board was then able to take uh, remedial uh, action. So I understand the Forth Valley uh, uh, Health Board are, of course, uh, now taking uh, the action. Uh, I'm pleased that NHS Assure was able to identify these issues uh, at this stage uh, and of course the contractor, uh, Forth Valley, uh, are working with the contractor in order to make the improvements uh, that are required. This is The Week in Holyrood with Charles Fletcher. Monica Lennon. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Rape crisis centres are trusted emergency services and should be funded as such. However, more than 800 survivors of rape and sexual assault are stuck on waiting lists. And if that isn't shocking enough, 28 rape crisis workers face redundancy in the new year unless the Scottish Government extends emergency waiting list funding beyond March 2024. Survivors can't wait, so will the First Minister agree to take immediate action to save these jobs, reduce the waiting times and commit to long-term sustainable funding for rape crisis centres across Scotland? First Minister. I thank uh, Monica Lennon for raising uh, such an important uh, issue and uh, I hope uh, she will take it uh, as read that this government uh, and I particularly value the excellent work that Rape Crisis Scotland 
uh, do and have done over many, many years. Uh, their frontline, the frontline services that they provide are absolutely crucial, which is why we're investing record levels of funding uh, to support them. This includes over £5 million for the rate crisis network through our annual £19 million delivering equally safe fund. I am aware of and acknowledge the concerns about the 100 days money ending in March 2024 and the potential impact uh, it has on services. So we are currently considering our budget, of course, for the next financial year during a particularly challenging financial time, uh, time in the context of a, a really damaging UK Government autumn statement. But I can give Monica Lennon and those in Rape Crisis Scotland uh, an assurance, I hope a reassurance, uh, that the issues in relation to Rape Crisis Scotland uh, are ones that we are considering in relation to the budget. And that's uh,